and admit. Hello. Hello, Mr. Seabury. Hi there. I have to say Mr. Seabury because I don't know if you're Stefan or Steven. <laughs> it's, it's Stefan Seabury. Oh, Seabury. Okay. Got okay. it. <laughs> I have to tell Stephen. my students that, that. You know, you don't, you, you bury stuff at sea. You don't bury it. So Seabury. Nice. Thank yeah. you. I try to tell people that my last name is Martin because, you know, people like Martin. They don't say the T, so I think I appreciate oh. those those uh, <laughs> distinctions. You gotta hit that uh, hard letter there. Yeah, and, like mountain. And, <laughs> we don't do and, that. I know we don't. We just kind of gloss over it. Yeah. Well, and as long as you guys are going there, I'm not even gonna tell you what I have to go through in Vandy Venture. <laughs> Vandy Venture. Yeah, that's her last name. That's my last name. But we go with Miss V. It's so much easier. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So tell so, us about yourself, Stefan. Uh, well, um, so I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. I teach at Providence Hall High School. It's a charter school in the south end of Harriman, Utah. So it's, it's actually a K through 12 um, IB school. So I just teach at the high school campus. I teach world civilization, predominantly just to sophomores. Every once in a while I get a junior or senior. And then uh, this year I'm teaching AP United States government and politics. So Yay, that was a good year to teach a brand new college level course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's been busy in that regard. Uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm married. I have three little ones. Uh, Clara is seven, Spencer is four, and then we've got little Lou, who's four months now. So uh, that keeps me, I get plenty of high school kids to mess around with, and I've got my own children to hang out with and spend time. And uh, my wife, Jenny, was actually a, a teacher for a while, too. She taught first grade for a couple of years, and then we've kind of made the switch to now I'm a high school teacher and she's teaching our kids as well as hanging out with our kids and doing that kind of thing. How have you um, reacted to the, the school closures that have occurred? Like how, how have you approached it? Well, um, I mean, when it first happened, right? Like it happened on the 16th and we were just, we were just done, right? Like it was just game over. There wasn't like a good, or anything like that. It was just like, oh, I remember that day I had a conversation with one of my students just casually about soccer, um, the season, how it was going. Uh, my board still has what was the learning target that day. So on my board, I took a picture of my board. It has French Revolution, explain the French Revolution, and underneath it was describe coronavirus. And I had a KWL chart up on my board and we went through that and then it was over. And it, yeah. the first two weeks was kind of like, okay, we can my school's pretty good with Canvas, so it was okay. It was like, okay, we can, we can figure this out the next two weeks. When they made that official call, like, we're done for the year, that was actually, like, more emotionally harder, I think, because it's like, oh, I'm not going to, okay, that's, I'm not going to see these kids again. I'm not going to see my students in person. I was okay with a two-week, we'll figure it out, but, like, that we're done, and we're not going to see them ever till next year. It wasn't really a it was kind of like that it was a hard disconnect right off the bat and and for graduation stuff the kids are graduating this year are actually the first kids i ever taught as a teacher so i've been kind of looking yeah. forward i taught them originally as little sixth graders and now they're graduating and i'm not gonna i'll see them from my car is what it looks like it's gonna happen for that but that yeah. was initially it was kind of like emotionally i don't know i thought it was it was more emotional than i thought it would be initially yeah and, you know now we're kind of figuring it out and I think that we are um, all learning. 
that that cycle that we have within the school year and um, at the I'm at the elementary level and as you're thinking about some of those kids where we've been building these concepts and then there's kind of a coming together of underhand understanding a lot of it that that kids have those aha those light bulb connections those moments that that sort of take place as you've been building across the year that that we miss having mm -hmm. that part of the year of the season right that not only the not being able to say goodbye but it's almost like we climbed almost to the top of the hill and we see the end but we weren't able to you know make it to the summit because we had to stop i don't know as a as a secondary teacher if you feel that same level but i know that the elementary teachers i've been talking with have really felt like they were cut short uh it was for a little bit it, to me it kind of it makes me think like we were part way up that mountain and then we all got kicked off onto the exit rail that the trucks use when they're out of the brakes like that's kind of <laughs> what happened we just like shunted off to the emergency lane yeah it, it kind of depends on on for my a, ap kids for sure i was like that's not good because we're taking the ap test anyway and it's not that one was the one that was definitely that was like i'm not we're not we're not there like we were not there i was not done teaching the, the content in order for, to prepare these kids for this test it, that is being radically changed anyway, they're going to take it on Monday and we're just going to kind of hope. So for that part of it, yeah, because there was that end of year pressure from AP right. kids that we were not able to, we weren't there. We were a month early. I wasn't done with the content or anything. Uh, for my, my other kids, for my world civilization kids, there is not that, that pressure, like an end of level test. But there, there is the relationships that we create over time of, of helping them feel confident in the classroom to be able to feel like they're ready to move on to the next grade, that they learn some skills. And for us to kind of get cut off there, right when we were gonna start doing some really fun skills-based stuff that I thought was gonna really help them translate to the next couple of years, that was kind of, I think, they'll get it figured out because there isn't that test and, and next year, the, the 11th grade teachers, it's a different subject now. It's World Civ, now it'll be US history. So they'll be able to be okay in that regard. But I think maybe some of the skills we're trying to finish out with and you know, trying to get to that last point of all year we're working on helping kids to find confidence in the classroom and feel successful in it. And then they get booted and they get put on a completely different scenario that many of them are now struggling with. It's like, well, I found some confidence success in my classroom, now I'm online. And I've got students who are like, well, that's it. I can't, they're, they're kind of back to, I'm not a learner anymore. I'm not a, I can't do school. And we're having mm. to quickly, no, it's okay. You, you can just maybe not this version, but, but you can, and we can, we can help you with that. So I want to come back to like the, the closure um, and what implications there might be for that. But first of all, you wrote an op-ed in the Salt Lake Tribune. Mm -hmm. It appeared, um, I think it was yesterday, uh, about educators getting involved in the legislative process. And um, what prompted you to write that? What prompted your interest in that topic? Uh, it's, it's part of an organization I'm a part of. So I, I, I'm a Utah teacher fellow that's part of the Hope Street group. And I mean, part of that is we're being asked to be teacher leaders and we're given training on how to be teacher leaders and advocating for teacher voice, as well as like, hey, you need to be published a couple of times a year. So there's that pressure. But the specific topic is because I felt like as I've been more involved on Twitter and seeing stuff, people are talking about what our schools are gonna look like. And they're not talking to teachers necessarily, they're talking high level stuff. In my last couple of years of teaching, I've, I've felt a lot of that pressure, like hey, I'm an educator, but what I do in my classroom is being dictated to me by somebody who's not in my classroom, nor has any experience in my classroom. And yet they're the ones telling me 
this is what you should or shouldn't do. This is what leads to the outcomes you think should exist. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I'm the professional. I should be the one that should be consulted with that. And so I, I kind of felt like with this particular article, the school year is winding down and teachers are reflecting. I'm seeing the teachers are thinking about what has this been like? And what I want for the teachers to do is, like, okay, don't forget what it has been like over the summer because we're going to come into another legislative session and the legislators are going to think about what they feel like the outcomes should be. And we need as teachers to go back and like, okay, what was it like doing online platforms? What was it like for our special ed students, our ESL students? What was it like for the regular ed students? So that we can have those things already collected so that as we come back to the school year and people tell us, this is what your school year is going to look like. My hope is that teachers like, well, hang on a second. I've got experience with this recently and I feel like it maybe shouldn't look like that. Or maybe yes, it should look like that. And that's mostly why I felt like I, I wanted to, to hurry and kind of get this, get this out there and let teachers know that we ought to be a voice now because this is a huge litmus test of what education should look like. We didn't like this, but ta-da, it's an experiment and there's going to be results and, and teachers should be part of that. What would you tell a legislator or a power that be about what needs to happen next for this transition? Um, for legislators in particular, they, I think that some do a better job than others of, of really honestly talking to teachers, not simply talking to teachers from their lens of, look, I have these budgetary concerns and these constituencies, but more of asking the teachers, what are some things that you found in your profession that are worth hanging on to in the upcoming year, whether it comes to financial decisions, medical decisions, or academic decisions, but really go and talk to the teachers either in their area or speak to, you know, like, like Hope Street teachers, teachers who are already trying to be that voice, who are willing to say like, look, I'm actually doing research. I am more than just a classroom teacher. I'm, I'm somebody who's doing research. I'm reflecting, I'm talking to the teachers and, and legislators ought to, to take that opportunity to reach out to these organizations. And I know some of these organizations reach out to them with some consistency and that might be a frustration for them. But I think for a legislature, yeah, you need to have an honest conversation and let the teacher tell them, here are some of the experiences I've had personally and here are some evidence that supports my experiences and the outcomes I think should happen from those experiences. You know, our, our podcast focuses on the little things that make a big difference. And we realize we may never go back to what our schooling looked like before we had this COVID experience. Right. But as you are asking the legislators that you want them to ask teachers, right, what's worth hanging on to. I'm curious what little things you think are important for us to try to maintain as as we move into an uncertain future. As as teachers or? As teachers, yeah. Uh it's relationships, I think. I mean, we talk about that a lot, right? That like that's something yeah. that sometimes gets missed in the academia of education is that it's it's just plain relationships that we need to continue to remember that that's the most salient part with our students. If we don't care about them and they don't feel that we do, we're not going to get them to do that math problem. We're not going to get them to do that research project. And with this online learning, it's really forced teachers to try and be creative. Like, how do I connect with that kid? Because I've for me, I've found that there's been some of my, my students that are more at risk or in special education, I connected them one-on-one, -on -one, right? In class, there was those little 30-second minute type interactions. We went online and it just disappeared. And I had to figure out, oh man, this kid is bombing my class now. And I had to try and find ways to simply reach out and just say, hey, just say hi to them. And then later on, get back to, hey, you're also failing my class. <laughs> but I think that's a, a little thing for teachers to 
to kind of take that breath on and be like, it's okay. They'll come back to my classroom or whatever academic deficiencies I think they may or may not have from the closure. We're professional educators. We'll get that sorted. But the relationship, that's something that needs to, is a little thing that they can continue to do when they come back. And if it's different, then we need to reflect on what creative things did we use at the end of this school year that helped us to maintain that relationship. So when we come back, we can stay on that quickly and keep those relationships stuff, trying to relearn it again the first two months of whatever school might look like. Can you um, talk a little bit about the Hope Street teachers? Is that what it's called? Our Hope yeah. Street group? Yeah, so um, the Hope Street is in, is kind of like the umbrella organization and they, they focus on helping, they have like kind of like a business side where they help mid-level workers improve their station. But they have an, an education side and that's what I'm a part of. That's the Utah Teacher Fellows. They've got an organization or branches of this in Kentucky, um, North or South Carolina, sorry about Carolina, and Hawaii, um, and a couple other places. And, and the whole goal for the Utah, for our chapter, is to increase teacher voice in Utah. So what we end up doing is there's 20, there's about 28 of us or so that are spend two years as Utah teacher fellows. And we go to seminars where we learn about how to increase teacher voice, how to create change, how to work with other organizations to help them find what they need in helping us. We also do surveys every year on behalf of the State Board of Education. So they'll always reach out to us and say, we'd like to use your network to run a survey on this particular topic. So, so like this last school year, the topic was mentoring. And what does mentoring look like in the state of Utah? Who's getting it? What does it look like to the mentor? What kind of mentees are out there? What kind of training are they getting? And then collecting all that, they sent out a survey and we did all the data crunching on that. And then we also ran uh, groups, like actual focus groups in person, record those focus groups, then analyze those. And then if we didn't have the close or closure, we then would have gone to the state capitol and we have a big convening with stakeholders from state legislatures, USBE members, down to teachers and administrators, where we present this stuff and have a discussion about what policies can come out of these survey results. And that's one of the big things that, that we do, along with just simply, we need to be leaders in our school, we get trained on how to do it, and then try to involve others. And how did you get involved in the Utah Teacher Fellows? Uh, I was strictly mercenary, I guess. <laughs> I, I actually, I went to a, the, the annual Utah Council for the Social Studies Conference, and they were hosting a breakout session about political advocacy. And so I was, I had only been teaching, I think at that point, maybe three years or something. And I was kind of getting that thought, like, I should be more involved. So I went to their breakout session only to learn about them. And there's like seven of us. And during that session, like, oh, and by the way, we're going to do this survey. So stick around. We're going to do a survey about their focus. I think that year was teacher retention, I think. And I signed up to the survey only so I could pick their brains about their organization. So I did the survey with them and said, honestly, I'm just here because I want to know what it is that y'all are doing. The survey, great. But I want to know what this is because it seems like this is something where it's, it's nonpartisan. It's nonunion. There's no dues. It's um, we're just simply being selected and then we're part of this, this fellowship. And I thought like this might be a really interesting little niche of a way to have teacher advocates who aren't part of a massive organization, but are also not simply just one or two, like we are still organized. Um, and it's, it's new. We're, we're the second cohort. They had one cohort that ran for two years. I'm part of the second group that will run for two years. And, oh, very and so nice. That's how I got into it. If others were interested, um, how, how could they, you know, get involved? Uh, they can uh, 
they can go to the website. I mean, it's, it's, if they just search host street group, Utah teacher fellows in Google, they'll find it. If you hop onto Twitter, it's the, the handle is at HSG. Uh, I believe it's underscore UT should be the proper uh, hashtag for it. And then from there, that's, that's our, our regular hashtag. And then getting onto the, the Twitter chats, there's the Utah ed chat that we do that's every Wednesday and a number of Hope Street fellows participate in those each week. And so that's another way to kind of connect with specific individuals that are in that, that are in part of the Hope Street group or the Utah teacher fellows. That's cool. I mean, I didn't even know that existed. And so it's really helpful to, to hear about those opportunities that are out there. Um, what, um, what are some little things that you would recommend? Maybe you put that in your article or just know uh, from your experience with the Utah Teacher Fellows. What are some little ways that educators can get involved in the legislative process? Uh, so, I mean, a couple of things in my article, obviously, like one was the Twitter thing. I think that for me personally, it really helped me to broaden out my perspective because right, I was just some you know young teacher. I've only been teaching six years now. And so sometimes I think we get isolated in our little classroom and we do our little thing in there and we don't really talk to teachers across the hall or we maybe talk in our department. But hopping on the Twitter, it, it helped expand like, oh man, there are tons of professional educators out there all over the place with ideas I've never heard of and methods I've never dreamed of. And it's, it's not as hard as you think. So I did, in my article, I linked a, a short article written by another teacher trying to help teachers get on to Twitter. And, and that was something that was small because I think a lot of teachers they're already on social media, usually with Facebook, most of the time just to help them out with content. So they, they join a, a Facebook group that's specific to their content. It's a way for them to gather resources. So if you're already doing that, it's kind of like, well, just, just branch out to, to Twitter to, to catch something. And uh, the other only other thing that was also is for them to just simply look up who your legislators are. Like just go to legislative homepage, bottom right, there's a little button that says your legislators. And you can just click that, throw in your address, and it pops up those two individuals. It gives them, you can see who they are, where they went to school, what educational committees they might be on, what legislature. I mean, if you want to get, you know, start getting in the weeds, you can, but that's a pretty simple thing is just to find out, well, who are they? And then they have their own social media pages that you can follow on Facebook and on Twitter. And that's, that's a pretty quick little thing. So I know teachers were strapped for time. And so something short like that, it's just a real quick hit, just hop on, a, on the legislative website, find out who your two pre people are, and then you can find out where they are from social media, or you can simply just shoot them an email right there from the legislative page. Nice. As we are looking at um, just moving forward and mm -hmm. whether or not we had access to the virus, and we know that's going to be you know, a, a reference point. You know, I remember in my own history class that those big events, we refer to them, oh, that's before this big event or after this big event, right? Yeah. Before yeah. World War II, after World War II, those kinds of things. And, and I'm just recognizing that I think for us as a society, this might be one of those big events that we say, oh, that was before, right? We had coronavirus, that was after. And as we are looking at shaping our world as educators in that post-coronavirus you know, experience, I love that you've brought in the idea of relationships. And I'm curious to know, 
as a teacher yourself? Because we often are coming at it from an educational leader perspective. What are some mm -hmm. of the little things that educational leaders can provide for you and your colleagues um, as we venture forward into this sort of post-coronavirus experience? Uh, I, I think teacher leaders certainly could be helping the teachers understand how to still engage with their students. And what I mean by that is that right, schools closed and teachers had two days to yeah. figure out how to go online. And some teachers got fire hosed with all these different systems, right? I mean, I think that the spam folders for educational tools and innovations went berserk. Yeah. Yeah. And for teachers, the leaders would need to help funnel that stuff down. I know the leaders themselves are having to sort out, well, which is better, Flipgrid or Nearpod or Padlet or whatever. Yeah. But helping the teachers to kind of narrow that down because it's, it's so overwhelming for a teacher to try and learn a platform and then try and use that platform to convey content. And it's, it's really trying to help the leaders be able to figure out, okay, which one is the best bang for our buck? Which, which tool is just a bells and whistle? Right, that like, sure, we get iPads in every single classroom and the kids can draw around the iPad. Well, yeah, but I can also hand a kid a marker and they can draw on my whiteboard and I can project and that's free. <laughs> and it's so is that the bell and whistle right. we need versus something else? And, and I think that would help out from the leadership standpoint is, is trying to help the teachers. We are they're already professional educators. They know how to teach, but helping them say, like, okay, we're on this new platform. Here are some platforms and some training that's time effective and targeted of how to use this new platform because it does it just gets I mean for my school it wasn't so bad we were pretty good with canvas we've been running it for a couple of years but for my little girl her teacher posted a video I think at 8 30 at night it was her first video to her kids so I sat down with my daughter and we watched it her teacher looked drug out she looked so mm -hmm. tired she was in her classroom she's like hi friends it's it's 8 30 at night it's good to see you um and you could tell that she had just learned Nearpod. She had just learned Google Sites. She had just went through a massive amount of packets and some other online platforms and had to probably shotgun through all those on that Monday and then turn them into content stuff on that Tuesday so they could get it to my daughter by 9 p.m. that night. And thought, well, good night. That was just so much for that teacher to try it. And I know it, was, it, was un, it wasn't planned, but now we have time to then plan and say, okay, we've seen lots of platforms leaders help us out with what platforms do we really need to worry about? And then teachers can cherry pick from the, the extraneous ones if they wish. Mm -hmm. You know, do I you, appreciate you saying that. Sorry, Jim, I was just going to say, there are times too when I think it's right, apples and apples, and really this could be just as good as this one, but I appreciate what you're saying because I think sometimes maybe we aren't picking the best one, but just the idea that this is the one we're choosing. And then we're just going to commit to this one, and we're going to become familiar with this. Um, I appreciate you, you pointing that out because sometimes it's just committing, so you don't have to keep getting the spam folder overwhelmed. Right, and and, and having that conversation as that commitment is made with yeah. the teachers, because I think that sometimes occurs where an administrator finds it's cost effective for this platform. Yeah. Okay, that, that's a fair, that's a leadership decision that the teacher may not. They're not seeing the budget necessarily, but the teacher then gets that platform and says man, you know, that platform is cost effective. However, this platform is better teaching wise, as far sure. as delivery is concerned. And, and even if it becomes a discussion with the, the admin still says, no, sorry, we're doing this one. At the very least, the teacher was consulted. They feel better about it. Even if they were yeah. told no, yeah. but at least they were consulted and 
said, okay, no, yeah. that's true. This is probably a, a more interactive platform. And I understand pedagogically, it's probably better. We had that conversation. We we're have to make this budgetary decision for this platform. Sure. So that teacher voice is important. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, what were you going to jump in? Well, I was just wondering um, if you, this is kind of, well, a little bit off topic, but um, do you find any kind of a divide? I mean, you're at a charter school. Yes, do you sir. find any kind of a divide between charter school teachers and, um, I mean, charter schools are public schools. That's important right. to indicate. Yes, that is people. important to know. They're not private schools. They are right. Private. Some people get a little bit confused about that. They say charter versus public, but that's, they're one and the same. But um, do you find any kind of a divide between charter school teachers and, like yourself, and teachers who are in other settings? Uh, in, in what way do you mean for that divide? Well, I mean, um, you know, uh, do you find that um, you can still collaborate with teachers who are in other public schools um, in this, you know, I mean, is there the openness to considering ideas from people in charter schools? I mean, sometimes I've heard teachers say, oh, well, it's a charter school, you know, and so, <laughs> like, <laughs> I... Um, I just am wondering about your experience with that. Yeah, it, it's been a mixed bag, honestly, with that, because it is true that initially um, being in a charter school, public school perception can be that it's, it's, it's soft. It's not real teaching in a sense almost. So you get that thing like, oh, you're a charter school, so you can do whatever you want. It's all soft, little, you know, not really rigorous, and it's open-ended, and y'all go camping and sing songs. And, <laughs> do whatever the parents think you should, which is crazy sometimes. And, and so there's that, that a little bit that can be difficult when you're trying to say, well, no, this, that all aside, the educational idea that is being presented is still sound, regardless of its source. So there has been a bit of, of that um, between public school and charter school. That it does kind of seem like, well, you're not as, you're not as vetted. You know, like, like I have a friend who wants to get an administration. He was a charter school teacher with me. Once he got his master's in leadership to go move into admin, he had to move into a district first. And he's teaching in that district first because the perception is, well, yeah, you have the license, but you're a charter school teacher. So we're not going to get you into the admin game until you've been a teacher in our district. And then there's some validity now. So right. there's, there's a little bit of, of that, I think, that, that occurs. Um, and it just feels... Yeah, it just, it just feels like it's important for us to um, kind of unite, especially if we're trying to facilitate teacher voice in education mm -hmm. that, you know, we need to hear from teachers in all different experiences. And so, you know, right. uniting, uniting around that is, I think, important at this particular time. And I think that that's the big key is, is to really understand, like, we're, we're all trying to do the same thing at the end of the day. Sure, we come from a charter school versus a public school, and there's different philosophies. But at the end, the philosophy still should be geared around, are we helping students? And if we're doing that, then let's focus on that. And then, sure, we can take different approaches. But at the end of the day, we're trying to understand what's the best outcome for our students. How we get about that might be different, but the outcomes we can collaborate on. And, and so I have found that side of it as I've been part of the Hope Street group, because actually out of all the teachers that are there, I'm the only charter school teacher, but it hasn't wow. changed anything. But the teachers I work with, they're all, I mean, some of them are, they're great. Like some of them are learning coaches, some of them are assessment directors, some of them are classroom teachers, but because we're all part of this organization with a similar goal, then it doesn't really matter when we discuss pedagogy or educational outcomes because we all sure. come to the table as teacher leaders. And that's that, I think that is really important to focus on that as we try to figure out what we're doing coming forward in the future. Yeah. 
Thank you for that. We yeah. have a final question we like to ask our guests. And okay. if you could put yourself in a time machine and travel back to your younger self when you were just getting into education, what advice would uh, you give to your younger self? Uh, well, I saw that question, you know, it's like, oh, that's like Doctor Who, right? We can go back and see what's going on. Yeah, let's do it. Let's try it. Uh, I think there'd be like, there'd be two things now that I think about it again. Initially, my first thought was, my first saw y'all's question was to let the younger self know to be patient with progress. The, I, I feel like as teachers, or just in general, in general, I guess it's kind of like a holistic view that be patient with progress that even though you have ideas and you, and you think like, Oh, this should be changed. And why does it take so long? I, I remember my, under, my classes of education, they would talk about educational research could take 30 years before it hits the classroom. I thought like, good night, 30 years. So that is an academic generation. What's the point? But the, you know, getting into teaching saying, well, there's some, there's some validity to it. Now 30 years, I still think is too long, but there's some validity to longitudinal, studies and progress because it does take time to see what does that effect have as a third grader to a 12th grader. There's, there's something there that we need to see. So being patient with progress. I think the other thing too, especially for young educators is that we come in with that kind of starry eyed naivete that we're going to change the world. I say, keep it. Mm. That the people who are starry eyed are the people who become stars. And I think that you should keep it. That for me, I did when I first got into teaching at my school, it was all about, you know, it's an IB school. So it's a lot of inquiry based, a lot of hands-on, a lot of like, let the teach the students kind of figure it out. And you're just there to facilitate. And I had a lot of fun with that. Now, could I always directly tie a world history standard to what I was doing in the class? Kind of, <laughs> but did the kids come out with a skill that I thought was important? Did we have discussions with them that I thought was worthwhile and the kids remembered better than when the pyramids were built? Cause they can Google that anyway. I did that. But then as I got in a couple of years and started going to conferences, I started meeting these more vetted teachers or veteran teachers. I mean, they would say, well, you know, according to standard two session three or whatever. And I thought, Oh man, I'm not very good at that. And, and so I started kind of going back to, well, I got to make sure I'm tagging these standards of the world history standards, which they're obscene. There's so many of them. They're great, but there's, there's a lot. And I found the last couple of years less, fun in my classroom less enjoyment for me as a teacher i mean sure i was tagging that but i wasn't having fun anymore i wasn't doing some of the more open-ended skills based the stuff that was me the things that i wanted to do when i first got into education and by not doing that, i found more frustration as a teacher because i felt like well this isn't this is just rote this is mechanical now i'm checking the, the dadgum box yep they they can explain the crusades but did we have any fun with it did we practice a skill of evaluating sources and debate. No, I did a PowerPoint and they did a little exploratory thing online, but it wasn't, it wasn't as fun to me. And so it made it harder for me to want to stay in teaching to be totally honest with you. The, the Hope Street thing was really the thing that helped me as of late stay in teaching because it, I felt like I was getting another avenue for innovation through this, the Utah teacher fellows. And so these, this next year, um, I plan to kind of go back to not throw the content all the way because that's not teaching anymore. But I, I plan to go back to what was I doing my first couple of years? My admin even asked me about it the other day when I was talking to her about some of my frustrations with teaching. Uh, she asked, well, what happened to that? You used to do a, a, an activity where you brought in a kiddie pool and taught evolution with a kiddie pool and beads of different sizes and stuff. What, I remember when I was teaching across the hall from you, you used to do that. What, what happened? It's like, well, I... I did that, but then last couple of years I became a teacher mentor. 
and I was trying to help my mentee learn the standards and me bringing a kiddie pool in didn't really meet <coughs> a standard necessarily world history. It was just a way for me to kind of hook kids about anthropology. And so when she asked, I was like, you know what? I don't know. Where is that kiddie pool? I should, just, <laughs> I should go back to that starry eyed kind of, you hang on to it. It becomes realistic. You can be starry eyed and you can be realistic at the same time. Yeah. But don't become so darn realistic that the stars disappear and now it's just simply a tunnel and there's a train that hopefully doesn't hit you on the other way. And we don't want that. Wow. I, I feel like that's important. Keep that. Story. I love that. I love keep that. Keep the kiddie pool. Yeah. Keep the kiddie pool. That could be yeah. a book title actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're starry eyed to stars. I think that's really powerful. Um, yeah. Will we be seeing you on a ballot someday soon? <laughs> See you on a ballot? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's encouraging, right? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I think I would like to get into that. I really would. And, that, and that's what's cool about those Utah teacher fellows is, is I, I've thought about that, getting into the political world. And you look at our state legislature, I think there's eight or nine teachers. I hope I'm not forgetting them all. But I think only, is it just one? I think is still actively teaching. Hmm. And so the, the kind of struggle I have there is like, I want to be politically involved. And yeah, get on a ballot and, and, and run for policy but then try and figure out how do you stay connected to the classroom? Because most anybody knows that you leave the classroom to be an administrator. It takes two, maybe three years before the classroom starts to become foreign. And, and then it, it almost seems like that, that feel starts to change. But in Utah, we have a part-time legislature. And so there's, there's that. Options, yeah. yeah. So I, don't, I, I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm new to this kind of stuff. But I certainly would like to continue to to be involved and, and work on policy. And that's something for me as a starry-eyed teacher, that was something I thought about. It's like, well, then why aren't we making changes? We're waiting for 30 years until some professor tells us, oh, it's okay now to do group learning. Like, that guy hasn't even been in the classroom. So why is he telling me this? And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I would like to. Well, we're, well that's great. we're encouraging you. Yeah, you bring a lot <laughs> to the classroom and beyond, and we look forward to seeing what what you continue to do. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was pretty cool. It's nervous rack, nerve wracking. It, oh, cool. we're sorry. We didn't mean for it to be stressful. No, it, no, it, it, it's been great. But, you know, initially it was kind of like, oh, this is, I, I wrote an article and all of a sudden there's like, be on a podcast. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we appreciate your fast turnaround time. So uh, thank yeah. you for that. Sure. Thank <laughs> you so much. Good luck for the remainder of this year and the beginning of next as you venture on to the world that we are waiting to see unfold. And thank you for caring so much about what kids do and, and how they learn. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks for this podcast. I've checked out y'all's website now and everything. It's, it's worthwhile. So thank you for putting that stuff together and, and putting out this kind of content. Thanks, yeah. Stefan. All right. Have a good afternoon. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.